Our lives intersect the lives of other people, groups, or even whole governments. What happens next is what I explore in this podcast. Welcome to Intersections. I'm Brett Dickerson, your host. Welcome to this week's episode of Intersections. I'm interviewing newly elected representative uh, Colin Walkie. Colin, congratulations on your election. This was your second time around, wasn't it? That is. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Tell us what the numbers turned out to be here on this on this last election here where you won. Well, uh to be honest with you, I've been so excited about having won. I didn't go back and look. <laughs> uh, I, I I know that they. I think that the vote spread was about four hundred votes. Yeah. Uh, and the Libertarian pulled. She got eight hundred votes. Okay. And I think that the total percentages was I was forty seven percent. Right. Uh, the Republican was forty three. Right. Um, and uh, the Libertarian carried the rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most interesting thing, though, we, we've done some quick looking at my performance versus uh, Hillary Clinton's performance mm-hmm. and uh, Bruce Smith's performance in comparison to Donald Trump's performance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I outperformed Hillary Clinton and he underperformed Donald Trump. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that was, yeah, Hillary versus Donald was the national, but in House District 87, it was it was Walkie versus Smith. Right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and then Al Collins was the libertarian. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. Al Collins. And your didn't that have a really busy primary? Uh, yeah, it did. It did. There were, I think, ended up being three Republicans yeah. in the primary. Yeah. Uh, and then it was myself and Kelly Meredith in the Democratic primary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Republicans thought, okay, Jason Nelson's held this for a long time. This ought to be ours. We ought to own this. Mm-hmm. So a bunch of people wanted to give it a try. Right. They? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how is it that you came out ahead of a Republican in a red state like Oklahoma? Mm-hmm. Obama didn't carry one single county mm-hmm. in both elections, and and then Hillary Clinton didn't. Didn't you know we had a few pink? We had a few pink counties in mm-hmm. Oklahoma, but uh, but most of them bright red. Mm-hmm. So uh, how does how does a Democrat win? In a district that had long time been held long time by a Republican and generally considered to be a pretty conservative district, how does a Democrat win in a district like that? Well, I think it's twofold. I mean, I think one, just demographically, that district has always trended blue. Uh, so in 2008, when Dana Orwig ran, she only lost by around 100 votes. Wow. And then the Republicans, recognizing that that was a seat that the Democrats could pick up in 2010, <laughs> they thought, well, let's redistrict it, that bad boy. Uh, and so in 2010, you saw the vote numbers grow higher for the right, Republican. Right. 2012 was kind of the pinnacle. Right. Uh, the vote spread in 2012, I think, was 1,000 votes to the Republicans. Mm-hmm. When I ran in 14, it trended down to 500 votes. So mm-hmm. it was going back. Um, so that it's it's just part of the process, I think, of twofold. Um, one, the demographics there are changing. Right. Two, we're living in a state right now where we've had uh, the Republicans in control of everything. Right. And we haven't seen improvement. Right. We've seen... Uh, Regress, <laughs> not just in terms of uh, health care funding, right. rural hospitals mm-hmm. uh, being threatened to close, yeah. uh, not just in terms of mental health funding, mm-hmm. uh, uh, prison population exploding, uh, but we've seen it in terms of education. Right. Nothing they have done has been correct. 
And so <laughs> as a result of that, uh, the people uh, in my house district recognize that I don't care whether you're a Democrat or Republican. We just need something different. Right. And what had been spouted both during the Republican primary and then during the general election by the Republican was just repetition of what had already been said for years past. And that's gotten us nowhere. Yeah. Let's pick up on that on that about a about a desire for different, because I heard I heard on NPR just this morning uh, a, re- a really insightful report about, you know, they were interviewing one person who did some research in some of these some of these uh, kind of typically labor union mm-hmm. states that ended up going for Trump. Mm-hmm. And it found out that that a lot of people in those states that voted for Trump this go around voted for Obama twice mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. It, was, it wasn't just that these are a bunch of old guys with Confederate right. flags and right. stuff like that. These these are hardworking people seriously, seriously upset about things and they want change. That's right. They voted for Obama because they wanted change. Right. And now they're voting for Trump because they wanted change. Yeah. Do you do you think that that change dynamic, that desire just to do something really came through in in your race? I'm not going to ask you to comment about some of these other races, but it, but it kind yeah. of seems that way. No, too. I, well, absolutely. Because I, I, I think that, that is, it drives home the point. Right. And what I mean by that is, is that in my district, uh, people in 2014 weren't able to differentiate between National Democratic Party and State Democratic Party, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, even though the writing was on the wall, yeah. we had already cut education spending. Right. Uh, we had problems galore, but uh, I like to use the phrase, nobody's ox had been gored yet. Right. Now, everybody's ox is being gored. I mean, I remember knocking on one of my constituents' <laughs> doors. She was a grandmother. She had right. her third grade student with her yeah. uh, or her third grade grandchild with her. And the third grader looked up at me and said, my favorite class at school had been cut. And wow. I said, what class was that? She said, art. Oh, and, and, yeah. and when when grandparents and parents see their children being negatively right. impacted, right. they go, I don't care who you are. We need to just change what we're doing out there. Right. And yeah. so change, absolutely. And at the national level, change was Democrat to Republican. Right. And here locally, it was Republican to Democrat. Right. Especially in the urban districts like this. Uh, uh, this is this uh, podcast is going to be linked on a, on a story I did that started on watch night and ended up out there at the Capitol yesterday when you guys, you know, it's kind of following four of you mm-hmm. uh, who are in these urban districts that typically had been voting Republican before this this election. And and except except for Inman's district over mm-hmm. there, Inman is is now term limited mm-hmm. at, the, at the end of this term. Uh, and he's he's consistently picked up that district mm-hmm. over there where he grew up. He's hometown mm-hmm. boy in Dell City. Oh, that's where I'm from. And, oh, OK. Yeah. So I've, I've literally known Inman my whole life. <laughs> yeah. So so I went I went to that one. And and to some other watch parties, mm-hmm. and and uh, I would encourage listeners to go ahead and take a look at that at that uh, story I wrote about that about that night, just mm-hmm. you know going around hearing people talk about the races right. that that particular night. Um, and, and what I saw over and over again, you know, I ran across people, you know, when I was at Inman's thing, I ran across a couple who, who just openly said, yeah, well, yeah, we voted for Trump and we voted for, right. you know, right. for Inman too. And, and so it was, it was definitely, um, an election where a lot of, of the usual rules just, just didn't, didn't right. apply. You right. could go through my district and you'd see my yard signed up next to a, a Trump sign. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In your, in your yeah. district too. Yeah. 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 Does that... Now, you know, some people in the Democratic Party might might say that, you know, that you guys just just kind of avoided the whole Trump issue that you sold out, so on and so forth. I, I maybe have heard maybe one or two people have been probably drinking a little bit. <laughs> but but uh, 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 to that argument, what would you what would you say about that? I, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but I'm going to let you. Answer well, let that. me uh, I don't know if this 
answers your question, yeah. but I'm going to try. Okay. Part of the problem that we have uh, in the Democratic Party is we have a group um, that I would consider on the far left right. um, on a lot of issues who um, are not willing to bend, right? Um, who believe that any sort of compromise mm-hmm. is bad. Mm-hmm. And while I believe in principle all day long, there are certain things that there's a right and wrong answer to, right. and there are certain things where there's a lot of gray area. right? And there are certain things, for example, the penny cent sales tax. Uh-huh. That was very divisive, not just amongst conservatives and and uh, Democrats and Republicans, right? Uh, or but even amongst uh, Democrats and, and sure. the far left, sure, yeah, uh, because it's a regressive sales tax, yeah, yeah. and 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 Poor I get end that. up paying for oh, it more yeah. than anyone else. That's so, right, yeah. But I, you know, whether you're for it or against it, the biggest right point of that whole penny cent sales tax is the legislature's failure to do their job. But setting that issue aside, if you look at the penny cent sales tax from a utilitarian analysis, right. for example, yeah. um, okay, does it benefit our children more to have better trained teachers? So yes, in the short term, the the, the poorest amongst us carry the largest burden, right. but does that benefit us in the long run? And I'm not saying that it does. Mm-hmm. I'm saying there's an argument to be made. <laughs> and so when when I hear people on either side, whether it's far left or far right, right. that are not willing to consider alternatives or consider right. the gray areas on issues, uh, that concerns me because I want to sit down and talk. I want to sit down and have a conversation. Right. I want to say, where's the middle ground on this? Uh-huh. And on some, I can see there is no middle ground. There's a right and a wrong. Right. Uh, but that's just not the case for the vast majority of the issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we in Oklahoma certainly need to uh, stick together. Uh, we do need to call out people when they don't do the right thing. Uh-huh. Uh, we do need to hold people accountable. Right. Uh, but we can't uh, eat our own. You right. know. And, right. and at the end of the day, it's about trying to improve this state. Uh, and we, we cannot uh, divide ourselves and try and conquer. Right, right. And – is it the case? You know, I asked. I asked a couple of the other people. I asked them yesterday. I said, "Are you are you ready to be the opposition party now?" You know, mm-hmm. and and you know, without fail, they said, "Well, no." You know, we understand that we're we're the party out of power, and to mm-hmm. that extent, yeah, we're the opposition party. But but we can't act act like that because we have to get out and convince Republicans to join us on votes, or we <laughs> or we just won't get anything done. It's mm-hmm. such a it's such a small you know, such a small, what is it like uh, 32? It's 25 or 26. Yeah. 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 And then, and then in, to 75. in the Senate, in the Senate, is it like? It's 42 and, uh, or uh, I think it's 44 and six. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, it, but, so it's pretty, pretty small. So when you're that small, if it was like two or three, two or three seats difference, mm-hmm. right. then, then then you would get up there and slug it out as the opposition party. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but when you get that small, then the pressure is to really get something done. You, there really is pressure, not just to oppose, but to really reach out. Yeah. Reach out across the aisle, or three aisles as it may be, or, you know, whatever, and and really begin to work on some stuff there and see what you can get done. And I, and I, and I agree with that. I agree with that in theory. I mean, I, I want want to be bipartisan. I really yeah, do. I yeah. In fact, I met several freshman Republican legislators uh, the other day during the swinging in <laughs> that I think I'm going to get along tremendously yeah. with. Uh-huh. I have had several long-term uh, friends that are Republicans uh, in the state legislature. Right. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot of work that, that um, 
crosses over between parties, right. without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am not optimistic that the Republicans are going to be willing to bend right. when they have power. Yes. And so uh, I typically well, Democrats do that. Right. Democrats right, yeah. bend when they have power. That's right. But Republicans are under pressure from their constituents mm-hmm. often. The kind of people who vote in Republicans want absolutes. They right. want absolute power. They they believe in absolutes mm-hmm. and, and they they expect their legislators to be, you know, to mm-hmm. operate mm-hmm. within absolutes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, but and I and I think that's where and again, I can't predict what legislation comes down the pike. This mm-hmm. session, right? I, I have a good idea, uh, <laughs> but I can't predict what's coming down the pike. But I think at some point in time, on some of these issues, the Democrats are going to not only have to stand together, right? We're going to have to get the community to stand with us right. and saying right. what you're doing is wrong, uh-huh. and not just the people on the floor that are speaking for the people, but the people themselves are going to come in here and we're going to make a ruckus. Yeah, we're not just going to rally; we're going to make a ruckus, yeah. and that's that's what I hope to see this legislative session if the Republicans try and drive us off a cliff. Yeah, I I think um, that that really kind of addresses how the Democratic Party as a whole has just you know in my in my view it just looks like the Democratic Party in Oklahoma has just continued to operate like like the dominant party when it was losing in every election you know it's slowly losing ground in every election and and without. <clears throat> Do you think that it that that the Democratic Party now is going to be under under more pressure, or maybe Democrats are going to expect you to make your case uh, uh, to the to the public um, as the opposition party to point out point out what's going wrong with with the party in power? Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think that's our job. I think that the um, there's been an argument, a long-running argument, that the Democrats in Oklahoma haven't stood up as Democrats. Yeah. That they've been Republican light. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that there's some value to that argument, mm-hmm. quite mm-hmm. frankly. Um, we do stand for different things. So, for example, right. uh, the Democrats should never stand up and say, you know what, we're going to support a tax cut for the top 2% of wage earners <laughs> when our schools are being underfunded. Which has happened over and over. That again. happened over and over. Yeah. Uh, we should not stand up and go, hey, we tax uh, gross production uh, lower than any other state in the nation, right. yeah. but let's go ahead and reduce it further during budget deficits. Right. You know, that that's those are the types of things that uh, we recognize that we're there for the middle class. Mm-hmm. We recognize that we are there to try and improve the lives of everyone, not just the special interests, not just right. the top 1%, mm-hmm. but everybody. And um, the government only makes money one way, right. and that's through taxes. Right. And Republicans believe in this concept of cutting taxes mm-hmm. – um, for some people. For some people. Making for some the rest of us pay more. If making the rest right. of us pay more, right. resulting in the budget deficits that we have right now. <laughs> right. Okay. So uh, what other issue? What other issue? Budget Budget is going to be a huge thing, right. isn't it? A right. giant thing. Um, and so and so, what are what are some other? What's What's your number two issue then on that? Well, I mean, I tell people this all the time. Whether whether your your core issue is education, whether right. your core issue is mental health, whether it's criminal justice reform, it all flows back to the budget. Period. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we can talk about other things that need to be fixed here in the state of right. Oklahoma. Um, you know, tax credits, tax incentives, but mm-hmm. it plays back into the budget. Right. Um. So 
I don't know how any... I, I think my number two issue is not just the budget, but making the budget a primary issue on day one. <laughs> not, not the last day, which is what happened last time. Right. After all of the discussion last session, even before the session, talking about even Republicans saying, you know, we can't wait to the last day. Um, they, you right. know, they're, they have the super majority and they waited until the last day. Yeah. The very last yeah. minute that they could do something they did. So yeah. Is it, is it the job of the party out of power then to, to remind the public yeah. of, the, of those yeah. things? I mean, yeah. and, and at some point in time, the public is going to realize as a whole, mm-hmm. I mean, cause again, you see, you see it in the urban districts, but I think you're going to see it in the rural districts where the, the, you know, think about this. Think about what happens if we don't expand Medicaid in the state of Oklahoma. Right. And the rural hospitals close down. And now... Which has already been happening. That, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. But, right. but it, it it's, progresses. It's going to accelerate. Yeah. And, and if we run into that crisis where you've now mm-hmm. got to drive... 45 minutes to get to the hospital right. where you've got to incur your medical bills uh, because and it's going to increase right. uh, because your local hospital closed down. We, I mean, I've seen it here in my urban district. I represent the district that has Deaconess Hospital in it. Yeah. Uh, when I ran in 2014, uh, they were talking about having to lay some people off. Yeah. Baptist has had to lay some people off. Right. Uh, both of those are in my district. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you're going to get a bunch of people going, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, we need to change direction even in the rural area. Right. And that's, I think, when you're going to see Democrats start to pick up more seats in the rural areas. Yeah. Um, do you see, do you see that some of the rural areas have really been voting against their own best interests there sometimes? Do you, do you think that? People, you know, it's easy. I think it's easy for a lot of people to say, look at Kansas, right. <laughs> look at Oklahoma. Right. We're voting against our own best interests by putting these people in power mm-hmm. um, who end up hurting us. I think that's a little too simplistic. I think people have m- different value sets. Mm-hmm. And if somebody is faced with a choice between value A, which isn't necessarily an economic, but maybe a moral issue for them, mm-hmm. and determining that that is more important to them than uh, education that's more important to them than their own health care. Right. Uh, you know, think about this, for example. Think about the religious freedom for individuals uh, to withhold care for themselves, Jehovah's Witness, right. refusing blood products. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a pragmatic standpoint, why not take the blood products and save your life? From a religious freedom standpoint, right. having the ability to say, even if it costs me my life, I'm willing to do it because that's right. what I believe. Right. And so I think that it's not that they're voting against their own best interests. I think it's that their value system is different than some of the other some right. of their neighbors. Right. Um, so that's why I'm hesitant to say that people are voting against their own best interests. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. All right. Uh, comparing the urban districts, uh, mm-hmm. which which this story is focusing on, and my my own coverage of the legislature this year for Oklahoma City Free Press is going to be focused on these these urban districts here in Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. uh, where you have far more. Uh, House districts, even Senate districts uh, out in the state, so many of these votes, and even our mayor, Mick Cornett, would, has openly said, 
on the horseshoe there in city council that that very often these these votes end up being being urban against rural mm-hmm. a lot of times mm-hmm. rural yeah, and yeah. urban yeah urban legislators end up fighting with each other not not democrats and republicans but urban and rural do, right. you, do you see that yeah Maybe. no but but i i think that's again a reflection of values right. and i'm not saying good or bad i'm saying they have certain issues in the rural areas that are different than the issues here in oklahoma right. city that's right so you know uh for example el reno um, I know some teachers out there, and right now they're not facing the same budgetary constraints mm-hmm. that Oklahoma City Public Schools is. Right. You know, uh, so it's a different set of issues for them out That's there right. than here. Right. Here, penny cent sales tax. Uh, Oklahoma City, what are we going to do if we want to pass <laughs> MAPS 19? Right. That's yeah. a concern for the urban people. Yeah. Uh, so yes, there is a divide, but I think again, it's a it's a matter of values. You know, there may be. I wonder if if the rural areas are much more dem- demographically simple in a lot of ways. Do you do you do you think so? You know, I, maybe I, not, maybe not. Right, but, I don't know the I, answer to that because you know, I and again, this is anecdotal because I've driven through Boise City, but I've <laughs> I, you know I haven't spent any time there. But you right. know, I hear of a lot of uh, migrant workers out right, there yeah. and uh-huh. and minorities. Right. Um, so I don't know because you know people tend to lump in urban areas as more diverse. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I really can't speak to that. Certain neighborhoods in urban areas end up being very, you know, a lot of a lot of homogeneity. Uh, yeah, there yeah. In those in those districts where really there's not that much of a difference. That's right. Is there? So, That's right. So tell me about what happened in 2010. Now let's let's kind of go back to the redrawing of the districts. Now in 2020, we're we're going to be redrawing districts again, mm-hmm. or I don't know, maybe maybe not. Maybe mm-hmm. everybody yeah. will be happy yeah. with it. But typically, there's some jiggering that goes along with the with the districts. Now, right. your district had been changed around to kind of make it a little more solid Republican district. Mm-hmm. That's that's called gerrymandering, <laughs> uh, you know, named after after a long time ago, almost colonial period, uh, Eldridge Gary. And and uh, most people say gerrymandering, but the, but the way that family... Somebody told me, a teacher from up there one time told me, you know, that that family pronounces it Gary. No, okay. So, yeah. All right. Well, all right. <laughs> so that... Yeah. yeah. So when you, when you get... This one of the advantages of being a social studies teacher there you you know, go. and going to big national conferences because yeah. you meet people. Who are, you yeah. Know. So um, anyway, but but the what we call gerrymandering um, went on quite a bit in uh, 2010, mm-hmm. didn't it? Yeah. How I mean, did that, your how did how did your district change out there? Basically, what had happened is is so my district is, is purple because yeah. on the right hand side, the eastern side, yeah. Uh, is Jason Dunnington's district, which is arguably the most progressive district in the state. Okay. And on the west side, uh, or for those of you that are directionally challenged like myself, the left-hand <laughs> side, uh, you have uh, Sally, what was Sally Kern's district, That's right. which can be arguably considered uh, the most conservative district. And so you're you, in between. And I'm in between. That's wow. right. I'm right okay. in between. And so what they did in 2010 was they basically said, okay, well, Jason Dunnington, you get to keep the eastern portion or more of the eastern portion. Yeah. We'll just kick it further west. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so that's pretty yeah. much Yeah. So your district just kind of shifted, shifted further mm-hmm. west then, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So you have a lot of Republicans who voted for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's the thing is that a lot of people go, well, the libertarian on the ballot is what caused you to win. Well, if you do the simple <laughs> math, 
<laughs> that's that can't be the case unless that's you. It's always a temptation yeah. when there's a third party that's right. in there, in there. Yeah, unless you assume <laughs> that he would have gotten seventy five percent of the libertarian votes. Right. Yeah. And I think that the Republican platform runs completely contrary to the libertarian concept right. of government out of our lives. That's right. Uh, especially this Republican-controlled state legislature That's right. who decides, hey, you know what? We believe in small government. Unless we're talking about uh, oil and gas regulations that yeah. the municipalities want to decide, no municipalities, you can't do that. Big government's <laughs> going to step in. That's right. That's right? right. So so this, this <laughs> Republican legislature out here is not small yeah. government, right. and they are not part of the value system that the libertarians hold close. Right. And so the concept that he would have gotten three-quarters of the votes of the libertarians it just doesn't make sense to me. So, and, and the fact that my wife's a Republican, and and that's where I get back to. There's so much more that we we have in common with one another. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. So, uh, yeah. No, I picked up a lot of Republican votes. Like I said, there were a lot of Trump walkie signs standing out there. Yeah. Um. Because when you talk to people on the doorsteps, we're not that different. We really aren't. And that's 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 really been the secret to to being a winning Democrat in these urban districts had not it is just door knocking i i think uh, uh, i asked cindy munson yesterday how many times she has knocked through her district mm-hmm. you know all together since the very beginning she said oh, i don't know seven or eight or nine or something right. i don't know i've yeah. lost track so so uh just just really seriously talking to a lot of people makes a difference doesn't it it, it does because here's the problem people talk about the polarization of yeah. our society right um, and, and I believe it's true, mm-hmm. but I believe it's true not because um, we're trying to change that, but because we love to live in our own little worlds. That's Facebook's right. algorithms dictate what we see based on what we like. That's right. Uh, we watch MSNBC or Fox News because we like what we That's like. Right. That's right. Um, when you sit down and have a conversation with somebody, which that is ending. I would love to see an end to TV, an end to the internet where we can all just sit down and talk about these <laughs> issues right. instead of living in our Facebook world so that we can sit down and have a conversation right. because, again... And and it goes back to not just having a conversation Democrat to Republican. Right. It's a Democrat and a far left Democrat. Right. It's a Republican and a far right lim- Republican. Right. Um. Those are the conversations that are important. And right. when you can have those face to face with somebody mm-hmm. on their doorstep, they can go, "We're not different." You're right. Yeah. 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 So so just face to face contact is one of the advantages mm-hmm. in in government to uh to knocking doors right. isn't it yeah. yeah 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 and and so when you knock on those doors you find out that really a lot of people are really kind of politically purple right they? yeah they really are yeah. i i don't find anybody i'm kind of hopeful that you'll actually see uh, a bolstering of third parties yeah, nationally yeah. and statewide yeah. uh, because most people don't fit into any particular category, right. you know, yeah. uh, socially liberal, fiscally conservative, yeah. or vice versa, um, and, and nobody has uh, a lock on everything. Um, so, and I think Trump proved that point right. because I talked to many Republicans who were like, I'm not going to vote for Clinton, <laughs> but I, I can't vote for him. And they just left the top of the ticket blank. That's right. And there was a lot of that kind yeah. of voting in a lot of different states. Yeah, wasn't there? because yeah. he did not represent their values right. while, while Hillary Clinton didn't. Right. Uh, he didn't either. Right. right. And yeah. and so I think that that's proof that neither the Republicans nor the Democrats have a lock on, on uh, what's right. Wow. That's a good point point to stop right there. Colin Walkie, uh, newly elected representative to the the Oklahoma House from House District 87. So, Colin, thank you very much for visiting with me. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. That concludes our interview. 
There are several ways for you to catch this weekly podcast. Go to our website at intersectionsok.com where you can subscribe, listen to episodes, read the backstory, and see photos of our guest. On iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and our Facebook page, we are Intersections Oklahoma. On Twitter and Instagram, we are Intersections OK. I always want to hear about the cool people in your life, so write to me. My email address is ideas at intersectionsok.com. Stephen Tyler is our awesome production advisor, and I am your host, Brett Dickerson. <laughs>